Welcome to the Penny and Pops podcast. He's Spencer Penny Strode. I'm Adam Pops Papa Giorgio. We're almost there, two weeks away from Magic Media Day, which means two weeks away from Magic Training Camp. Uh, Germany can call themselves world champions because they won the FIBA World Cup. So congratulations to Franz and Moritz Wagner. That is an immense, immense feat for Germany. We'll, we'll talk about that, but... Uh, also the magic, they brought back some throwback unis and a court, and it's just a reminder of how terrible our current jersey and font is at the moment. Let's go. Hardaway, straight down the lane, the power jab. Point guard on a 7'6 guy. Here's Lewis turning and he shoots. Yes! Here's Turkaloo for the win. All right, we are recording this Sunday night, September 17th. We are two weeks away from Magic Media Day and training camp beginning. Uh, Some NBA teams that are doing like the international circuit, they're starting a week before us, but uh, we're two weeks away. So FIBA World Cup dragged us along. Now we got this little hiatus in between still, but we're we're almost there, Penny. Um, This podcast is coming a little later than i would have liked because i was on vacation i was in uh boise idaho where ucf uh won against uh, boise state and then uh i went off to places like yellowstone and grand teton national parks which i fully recommend and so yeah i'm back and happy to finally get a pot in so um penny we have have you been to a national park period? I know you haven't been to Yellowstone or Grand Teton, but have you been to a national park? Good question. I uh, I can't say with certainty that I have. I don't. Multnomah Falls is not part of a national park. No, right? but it's gorgeous. And yeah, we, we that was yeah. part of our West Coast trip. But uh, yeah, yeah no. outside of Portland, which you know, yeah. I'm a I'm an indoor guy. Although uh, all of your uh, photos and videos look pretty pretty damn cool. Fair enough, man. All right, let's jump in. So this is Sunday night. On Friday morning, the Magic finally unveiled their, uh, at least one of their new jerseys. I don't know if we're going to get another one, but they they unveiled the classic Blue Star jerseys from the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Omar on Twitter has known about this for well over a year, at least has tweeted about it for well over a year. So this was not a surprise to me, but um, I think the Magic tried to surprise some folks there at the very end, but it, it was always going to be these jerseys. Um Along and I mean, with these jerseys, everyone remind, remembers them as like the T Mac era jerseys. Uh, they get, the team's actually calling them the Hard and Hustle jerseys, which I find interesting. Um, obviously, the Hard and Hustle team wore those jerseys, and yeah, I mean, that it's just interesting because most people associate the jerseys to McGrady, but for the longtime Magic and Orlando folks, that's the Hard and Hustle team and that 99 2000 team wore them. So, but um, along with the jerseys that we're going to wear 10 times this coming season, uh, including opening night, October 25th against the Houston Rockets. And then for our one nationally televised game, February 13th against Oklahoma city, we're also going to have a new court that we'll use for those games. And 
I mean, I'm almost more excited. I'm I'm honestly more excited for the court than the actual than the jerseys themselves. Um, you know, the like the jerseys, they're still an upgrade over our current bad font and jerseys and whatnot. So I'm I'm just glad that you know the A in Magic is back to the star again, uh, both on the court and obviously with with the throwback jerseys. Um yeah, I mean the court. It's it's got mad. It's gonna be it's gonna have mad the old school magic uh, font and magic logo uh, in the middle. Uh, the same one that matches that'll match the jerseys. So it just says magic. It won't have the ball and it won't have Orlando, but it's big. It's it's a very long mid court uh, logo, and I'm pretty happy about that. And um, I I took a screenshot of the, yeah. So it's going to have the 35th anniversary logo, which we agreed we liked uh, in the corners of the court. Um, The Rich and Helen DeVos court kind of titling or script kind of moves down to the black portion of the baseline. It won't be on the court. Um, Yeah. It's, it's clean. Like the, the key it's just, it's, it's literally just blue is the key with just some, some of the white borders around it. So it's, it's a clean court. I'm excited. Are you more excited about the court or the or the jerseys, Penny? Yeah, court looks good. I think more excited about the jersey. Just, I mean, obviously, the center court logo is is great with the uh, star for the A and the in the magic, uh, you know, uh, word. But the court itself is clean, right? So it's not a huge departure from kind of our normal court in terms of the key and you know the paint and the baseline and stuff, but. We've been lucky to, in our 35-year history, to only have one subpar set of jerseys. Um, the Stars, uh, Dazzle Stars in particular, one of the better sets of jerseys. Um, and we, you know, everyone else remembers them as the T-Mac jersey, but I think me particularly, and you a little bit as well, remember them as the Patrick Ewing and Sean Kemp jerseys, where the the... <laughs> the sweat retention turns them into like a midnight blue instead of whatever the appropriate Pantone color is. Um, they look uh, like diapers. Ever, they look yeah, like they diapers. Ever, ever, everyone's happy that uh, the moisture wicking technology has improved. And also the replica Jersey creation uh, material probably has improved greatly too. Cause I'm sure you remember the wildly different quality variations that they had of the McGrady ones, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Well, yeah. Cause with the replica jerseys, you didn't get the star pinstripes with them. You literally just, it was just a, a monochrome blue or whatever. Like it was just, yeah. it, it was just the, like that, that was the easiest way in the world back in the late nineties, early two thousands, you could differentiate what was authentic and what wasn't because champion did not provide good replicas back in the day. It was just, the authentics and then i don't even know if champion had anything to do with the replicas actually no they did but like it was for for a while early on there like the the replicas were just bad um there was no mid-grade yeah like there was no swingman mid-grade jersey it was either full authentic or cheap replica so you you either had the star pattern or you had like the off color uh looked very poor so it's nice that there's better options available now in 2023. Yeah, um, I think like everything with this jersey looks exactly the same as it did 25 years ago. As like the the logo, the numbering, the color of the jersey. The only difference is the tailoring and the fit. It's not baggy. It's 
It's a breathable material. So that's going to be a huge upgrade. And then the Nike logo and the Disney logo patch. Uh, that's it. The, those are the only differences. Cause like I was comparing, cause at the, at this, they had the season ticket holder event Friday where they had Nick Anderson, Bo Outlaw, our community ambassadors, but then you had Hito Turglu, Richard Lewis, Ryan Anderson making a long awaited return. That was fun. Um, being at this event, they had Rhino emceeing the event and the man's a natural at it. Um, but yeah, just really, really excited. If you know, know kind of about Ryan's life post magic, um, it's good to see him happy in there. And apparently he has a podcast. Somebody should ask what the title of, of it was or was going to be because he's not on Twitter, I don't think. So I'd be curious to know about his podcast. But um, yeah, so Jalen Suggs was the current magic player that came out and debuted these, these jerseys. And uh, first off, if you've been following him, following magic twitter at all or magic social media at all you know that jalen suggs has been putting on muscle so but it was very noticeable in his arms with these jerseys that he's put on muscle so that's going to be interesting to see does that mean then yeah he's definitely leaning in fully to try and be the shooting guard for us hopefully but um he but uh yeah with these jerseys they they look exactly the same as they did 25 years ago like i compared jalen suggs to like ben wallace because Ben Wallace wore number four for us in the hard and hustle season. And they literally like the shorts, like everything, like it looks exactly the same. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. The other question I have for you, more impressed by Ryan Anderson's jacket or the jerseys. <laughs> uh, I, I know your answer. Well, so yeah, I'll you know, just, my answer. I want your answer. I'll just, I'll just say the, I mean, the jacket's cool. Um, I'll just say the jersey. Also, the the shorts are cool too. The the little, you know, the ball on the waistband, the little kind of touches that you forget about that come back and see those double digit times this year um, during yeah. the season. Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's the jacket um, because... I am a sick man and I bought the jacket. Um, You're an owner of the jacket. Yeah. One of, I, I, one of 500. Is no, one of 100. It's one 100. of 100. 100. Wow. And I don't think they've sold out, actually. So it might end up being less than that. Or I'm, I'm sure maybe they'll just have, have all 100 made. And then if you want to buy them, you'll be able to buy them at the game, whatever few they got there. But um, yeah, apparently Ryan Anderson was wearing an extra large, which... I feel good about getting a large because Ryan is a pretty skinny dude for six ten, six eleven. So um it just looks short on him because he's almost seven feet tall. So I, I feel confident that a large will fit true to size and it'll be good on that. But um yeah, I I I'm a bigger fan of the jacket than the jerseys themselves. I will definitely buy a Franz Wagner jersey though. Like it, it that's that's a lock. I will buy a Franz Wagner jersey. I think this jersey looks good too with a two-digit number. So, because I was mentally thinking, would yeah. I do Palo or Franz? And because, and we'll talk about it a bit, but because you know Franz is a world champion now, like I, I'm going Franz just to associate the timeline with that. So, but um, you know, I I like just the whole marketing of this jersey. Now, I don't like the ninety dollar price tag for the shorts, and I mean, like one hundred forty dollars. I think last you know over the past year or two, there these type of jerseys were going for one thirty. Now they're going for one forty. So chalk it up to inflation or greed or whatever. But um, you know, these jerseys are going to fly off the shelves. And 
we're basically another step closer from a full Jersey rebrand rebrand. And, you know, if magic fans are buying the gear, like I think they're going to buy the gear, like this, this rebrand is going to be leaning back towards our retro stuff, be it, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, or even, even this era Jersey. Like I love this era Jersey and it's going to look really good on the floor um, because they're not baggy and, they won't turn a shade of like midnight blue when they're sweating through them. I don't think so. Um, or maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a throwback to it, but uh, yeah, I was, I was, I, I am a sicko and I'm bought, I bought this. Uh, I bought the jacket that Ryan Anderson is uh wore at the event on Friday. And supposedly it'll, I'll be able to pick it up from the magic team store. Uh, it like around Halloween. We'll see, but um I'm excited. It's one of those purchases that uh, I would normally not make, but it is a sick, sick jacket. And I, I'm either going to be, I'm either going to die like buried with this wearing it, or I'm going to pass this down to family members. So um, that's the type of jacket I view this as. So it's a really sick jacket, but honestly, just in general, it was really cool for this event to see like, you know, uh, Jalen Suggs get to talk to, you know, Hito, Richard, I mean, he gets to talk to Nick and Bo, but it was just cool to see all those guys together. And Ryan Anderson, like Rhino, was the was the one left out because he was the you know him and Bo are the two him and Bo Outlaw are the two guys that didn't get to contribute to either the '95 or 2009 Finals teams. But uh, you know, it's it, it looked like a really cool event. Like I think Dante Marcatelli's smiling in the background of like every single photo, and it's great. So, um, and then from a G League perspective, the Osceola Magic are also going to have a pretty similar version of this jersey. Like the stars and stripes are pretty similar. The font's a little different, but um, even these look pretty good, the Osceola Magic ones. So uh, those will probably be interesting sellers as well. And I don't want to go over the who's going to be on the Osceola Magic or who's on you know an Exhibit 10 contract for the Magic. Like uh, I'll, we'll worry about that later because – you know, it doesn't look like any of the guys we signed are going to end up taking a 15 man ro- roster spot and they might not even take a, a like that third two way contract spot either. So um, any any other thoughts on on the throwback jersey penny, like be it even like the McGrady, the McGrady intro video to was really cool too. just kind of the whole motto re-energizing the O that would I think that's a pretty good motto. Um Honestly, that should be like our Twitter hashtag. I think it's that good. But um, yeah, any My other thoughts on the throwbacks? Po- yeah, I have one positive and, and one negative, which is we and we talked about both of these off the pot. So I want to get your thoughts in a public forum. Okay. The, uh, the photo shoot for the new uh, Jersey short, you know, apparel stuff took place. At the Baldwin Park Basketball Courts, or Blue Jacket Park, I guess technically is the is the name, which is where we uh, I I play. You know, when I play outside, I'll play there occasionally. There's got to be a better outdoor court than that. Uh, I mean, and the photos turned out pretty good. But if you look, you know, if you study the photos, uh, there's terrible drainage there now. Now, like the asphalt, the paint is like chipping away and stuff. So it was funny to me that they decided that was the location to do the photo shoot in. Again, it turned out good, but if you look close, you know, it's uh, not tip top shape there. Um, and then the other thing is, it's nice to be able to have types of events where you're bringing 
a lot of people back because they either live here full time or split their time here. I, I did not know yeah. Rhino uh, was here spending time here um, lately. But even like, you know, we talk, we've seen the, the sad Brandon Hunter news, like played here one year, lived in Orlando. There's a ton of guys that end up playing here for one season only and, and then make live their, their lives here. City. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's nice to have that option, and it would be great to take further, better advantage of that for community events, fan events, um, and you know, just the kind of uh, magic family together in perpetuity. Yeah, look, I I don't want to dig, I, I don't want to go down this road because I've gone down this road before, but it's kind of a testament to one, like how nice Orlando is for, uh, for the most part, for, especially if you have a family, um, especially if you like golf, especially if you like non-cold weather, it's kind of tough to beat Orlando. Um, and it's also kind of a negative testament to ownership and stuff like that, um, that we don't get more of these guys either wanting to come, you know, more, more NBA players want to come here for the free agency or more players want to just stick around. Uh, but they love living here. They love the fans. You know, they love the fans. They love living here in Orlando, but there's just that, that ownership kind of, yeah, kind of separation there. So that's all I'm going to leave for that for right now. But cause I've been, been, we've been through this over in the past. So, um, I wonder if the magic are going to put some money then into the blue jacket park or the you know, Baldwin park courts. Cause they probably should. Uh, I, it was probably like a central location or maybe some of the social media folks just live in like in yeah. Baldwin park or nearby. So they just made that pretty easy. Cause it's what two actors and then whoever's part of the, the photo shoot. So yeah. yeah, you can pick, you can pick worse areas, but you could, you could probably pick a better court. You, you've got better knowledge on that. So. All right. I I'm holding off. I was holding off on this till I got you on a pod, but um, you know, we should talk a little bit about Stan Van Gundy and Dwight Howard and how they've been in the news for the first few few weeks of September and how, um, you know, Stan Van Gundy's wife passed away, uh, sadly. And it's, it was really nice to see all of those former, all of his former players and coaches and staff members that, uh, met up with him. Um, and there's that photo that started spreading around first. It was off of like Jameer Nelson's account. And then everybody basically posted on their social, social media uh, account. And it's just kind of a reminder that we need to get Stan Van Gundy into the magic hall of fame, like now. And the only reason why SVG isn't in the magic hall of fame now is he and Alex Martins and ownership have, don't have a great relationship. That's, that's literally the only, like the only reason. And in a situation like this where we need to be celebrating, like, I mean, we need to be celebrating our players and we need to be celebrating the greatest head coach in magic history. And it doesn't look like as well that he's going to already celebrated Brian Hill enough, Adam. Right. <laughs> well, if that's your viewpoint, that's your viewpoint, <laughs> but Stan Van Gundy is the greatest magic coach in, in franchise history. He, he is in, in my, in my eyes. And I think the majority of people's eyes, it, it, it's Stan, um, whether, well, not, there's no debate. Brian Hill's second stint didn't do him any favors, but I think even if you had Brian Hill's first stint alone, I'd still take Stan over Brian because I think a lot of Brian Hill's success actually came off of Matty Gukas, um, where Stan Van Gundy literally had to had to 
build everything from scratch almost. Like Brian Hill helped a little bit stabilize things, but Stan to take it to the level that he took it, that was unbelievably impressive. Especially when we had Billy Donovan, he walked away and it's like, oh shit, who do we get? And thankfully Stan didn't take the Sacramento job. Stan ended up still taking the magic job. So, um, yeah, but... Yeah, SVG needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And then with Dwight, every summer, man, for like six years, we there's there's that fan rumor that goes around about like, hey man, we should bring Dwight back and stuff like that. And it's just like that's not gonna happen because of the ownership in place in Alex Barton's one. Two, Dwight Howard is not of the vet, the type of vet you want in your locker room for the most part. Like Dwight works well when he's on a star-studded team already, like he was for that Lakers team that won the title in the bubble. Like he might join this Golden State Warriors team here soon, which that'll be interesting because I'm pretty sure Draymond Green's going to want to fight him if they're on the same team together. So I kind of want to see how that plays out. But, um, you know, I've always, I've always said, I've said it for a while and, this was probably when I, when it was during my media stint. So somewhere around like probably like 24, 15, 2016 tops. Like but basically when it was over for him in Houston, I got to a point where like, okay, I'm, I don't really have any hard, hard feelings towards Dwight anymore. Um, You know, I, I don't ever want him to see him in a magic Jersey again playing, but it's to the point where whenever Dwight wants to retire, like eight, I'm all 100% for signing him to a one-day contract and he retires as a magic player because he Orlando is his legacy. Like he doesn't have another legacy anywhere else. And when he gets into the NBA, you know, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, which that's going to happen, that is 100% a lock, even though he got 100% screwed out of the NBA top 75, Dwight Howard is a first ballot Hall of Fame lock for the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. He's going to be the first Magic player that we, Orlando, as Magic fans, can say is ours. Like, we couldn't say that for Shaq. You know, you can't say that for Patrick Ewing or Dominic Wilkins and stuff like that. Um, Tracy McGrady is debatable. I think he he, he gets in more on his Magic tenure for sure than he did as a Houston Rocket. But Houston Rockets fans push back on that. They can go fuck off. I think they're wrong. But um, with Dwight, it is undisputable that when he goes into the Hall of Fame, he's going to go in as a Magic player. And, you know, I've, I've heard some from other pods and other, and I've read tweets and stuff about how, oh, Dwight's finally, like, apologizing for the stuff in the past. He's already apologized. He has. Now, whether he means it or not, fully, 100%, maybe, maybe not. Maybe as the years continue to go by, he really actually, mean, like, genuinely, genuinely means it. Um it's kind of similar with Shaq where Shaq talks about how he fucked up and he never really should have left Orlando sometimes when he's here, but that's more of kind of a crowd lip surface type of thing, you know, with Dwight, you know, he, he had that long Instagram post that, you know, after the Stan Van Gundy event and, you know, it looks like everything kind of got in his feels and I have no doubt that Dwight still loves Orlando. He loved his time in Orlando. Um, there's an opportunity here to it, to mend fences officially in ways that it took forever to mend fences with Penny. It took even longer to mend fences with Shaq. I, I, you know, and so, you know, there's an opportunity there, but I, Penny, I assume you don't want Dwight as a veteran 
taking up a 15 man roster spot on the magic. No, I mean, certainly not this year. And, and again, not with the way the roster is constructed right now in terms of the incredible amount of youth and Joe Ingles. Like, first of all, you don't want to piss off Joe. And secondly, <laughs> you just like, um, but, and, and secondly, he's Dwight is very much not the mentoring veteran that you're looking for. Do I no. think that he could at age 38, whatever he'll be on, you know, opening night, uh, for the upcoming season, do I think he could contribute 10 to 12 minutes a night for the Warriors? Like, hell yes. yeah, I think, I yeah. think so for sure. Yes, and it definitely. might be beneficial. Yeah. Um, but, but no, certainly not. And I will say on the on the Stan uh, and and Dwight thing and on all you know like for the us as fans those two are good together by the way Stan and Dwight are good together there's there's no they there's no animosity towards each other if there was well, like that hatchet got buried a long time ago and to your point I think that speaks to the self deprecation of Stan too like yes they they patched it up a long time ago they're good dwight played for steve clifford and charlotte and everything else right like um stan took the job after they tried to give it to billy don't like he he's fine he gets it um he got it at the time obviously yeah. it sucks to get pushed out of your job but like everyone's aware of the fact that it's a business and but i'll just say on the on team means so much in, sorry in penny you, that- you cut out you cut out briefly can you repeat that oh. that that last part of the first part of this of the uh of the sentence there just say that the 2009 team means so much to us as fans in the same way that the 95 team does as it's memorialized on your on your new jacket sleeve um <laughs> yeah and and a lot of the guys from that era went on to let's say higher success success elsewhere like jj reddick had you know career years elsewhere richard lewis the title in miami um but i think to a man a lot of the guys on that team probably count that 09 experience and that core group of of magic players and coaches as one of their better times and seasons in the league if not the best so yeah um, I think the memorial speaks to that. Like even Stan had, you know, think about the length of his career in Miami before getting to Orlando with, you know, a lot of playoff success with Pat Riley. Like, you know, the the group was a special group. Um, and it's nice to see everyone, even in, you know, uh, unfortunate circumstances, still being able to get together, come together. Um, and I, there, again, there's no hatchet left to bury it's all love and admiration um and just you know fun time together um if dwight does end up being a warrior this season and he helps them beat the lakers in the playoffs on their way to like another nba title it should just automatically be triggered as some type of clause that dwight gets anthony davis's nba top 75 spot because it's a crime that davis has that spot over dwight um, I don't have any qualms about Damian Lillard. Like when, when I view stuff like that, I, I think about like, all right, can you talk up, tell stories about the league without these guys? And with Damian Lillard, I don't think you can because of how good of a player he is and how many game winners he's hit. Anthony Davis is, I, I can forget about Anthony Davis. I can. Um, and Dwight's way, way more memorable, way better career than, than Anthony Davis. And, um, 
it would be interesting if Dwight in the twilight of his career will have beaten Nikola Jokic on his way to to an NBA to his first NBA title in the bubble. And then it'd be funny if he knocked off LeBron again and Anthony Davis on his way to another title with Golden State. Even if he's only playing like 10 minutes a game, like that's that's still a big deal. So um any other Stan Dwight thoughts, or should I move on to the FIBA World Cup? I wish we we're gonna finish off with that. Yeah, let's uh let's get to the World Cup talk. All right, so Friday, September 8th, uh, we had the FIBA World Cup semifinals, Canada versus Serbia. I watched very little of it live because I was heading to the airport for a flight to Salt Lake City early that morning on my way to Boise. Um, did you watch any of this? Because this was early in the morning. This was like a 4 a.m. game, I think. I, I'm not a great contributor to this section. I prioritize <laughs> sleep for I don't blame you, but uh, Serbia won. It was it was an impressive win, honestly. Like it it seemed like a nearly perfectly played game from Serbia, like Bogdan Bogdanovic, uh, Militinov, who uh, plays for Olympiakos now uh, in 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 Greece. Uh, he'll be in a big contributor on on hopefully a, a Euroleague Final Four run. But um, they set the turn er, the tone early for from the jump for Serbia and. You know, they're up 13 at halftime on Canada, and it's just a great, great team win for Serbia. It was kind of similar to how they beat Lithuania, honestly. Like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who arguably was the best player in the tournament, hit some foul trouble in this game, and it threw him off. And it was really like his one really, really struggle-type game. And, you know, Canada needed him. And him not showing up, it it gave it helped give Serbia all they needed, like – uh, Serbia also had an extra day of rest and preparation, which paid off. And, you know, historically, that was not going to bode well for Germany going into the USA game later that morning, which, you know, USA Germany, they tipped off at like 8.30, 8.40 that morning. I saw the entire game on the on my flight, so uh, which I'm thankful for because uh, turbulence, uh, I was, you know, I, I handled turbulence terribly, but uh, I had a lot of turbulence over the panhandle, like Alabama, Mississippi. Um, so the game was an awesome distraction for me. Like I usually take like Xanax prescription for, for flying and I couldn't for this one because I was going to drive a ton that day. I was going to drive from Salt Lake city to Boise. And so uh, driving on Xanax, do not do that. You will most likely crash and die. Don't do that. But um <laughs> Did you watch any of this game, Penny? <laughs> yes, this one was appointment television. Okay. So Brandon Ingram was out for Team USA with an upper respiratory illness, which can we be honest and just call this COVID? Do, do you think this was COVID? Because like I don't understand why people are shy about not calling it COVID, but because I, I think this was I don't like the role on the team, and I'm gonna turn a cold into a slink away. That was that's right. my We'll we'll talk about okay we'll we'll discuss this in a se- in a little bit then so that's interesting, yeah Brandon Ingram had a bad tourney like he had one good game and then the the rest he was just awful like it was such a bad tourney for him that it might hurt like the Pelican season he was that bad so um that was interesting so but so Franz Wagner did start this game in place of Isak Bonga at small forward he went up against Anthony Edwards and Josh Hart early and often um. Germany had size advantages often and like, you know, Voigtman versus uh, Bridges, like that was a big size advantage. And that, that was a big deal early on. And 
you know, Germany had the rebound advantage throughout the game. And it's just a story of the tournament for Team USA where they just didn't have the size. And, you know, against bigger teams, which Germany had the size, like they they struggled at times. And um, it's also maybe a testament to Team USA's poor team defense. But a few times in this game, they were given Franz too much space to work with, either just open jumpers or just a chance to just get to the hole, which – you know, Franz had like a really impressive left side driving dunk early that really kind of got things going as Germany was up 14 to nine and Steve Kerr was already pissed off calling a timeout. Um, Daniel Tice did a good job the whole game against Jaron Jackson Jr. Like he kept him away from the action defensively because I mean, Triple J, it's all about blocking shots for him and Tice kept him away from any of that. And um, Andreas Obst had what I refer to as like a prime German JJ Reddick game, like just an immense, immense showing from Andreas Opes, man. Like, which if anyone watched Eurobasket or has watched Germany at all over the past year, you know, two years, like he has this in him. He does, but he, he really stepped up, man. He had a hell of a game. And, you know, even when the U S was actually full court pressing and actually trying to, to jar Germany, you know, defensively, Franz and Germany just handled that pressure pretty calmly, pretty well for the most part, and even got some easy buckets out of it. Um, Franz hit a three, put Germany up 22 to 15. Um, you know, Franz, there had been th some three-pointing frustrations, you know, some instance inconsistencies, but getting that three to drop early was a big deal for him. And then Dennis Schroeder hit a three early, um, which was enormous for Schroeder, considering how awful he was in the quarterfinals. And so... For Schroeder to hit a three to get going offensively, like it was game on. And it wasn't until late in the game where Schroeder, you know, Schroeder tried to do too much a bit late in the game. But for the most part, like he ended up playing within himself. And that's why he would end up eventually becoming MVP of the entire tournament. But Schroeder in this US game played within himself and kind of deferred to Franz a good amount too, which I was very happy to see. And it it would end up paying off. Um what did we think of the ESPN uh, USA broadcast crew that called all the Team USA games? Because I thought they were terrible throughout, and they just did not realize Germany had good depth because all they see is four NBA players on the roster. And I think the broadcast crew learned a good lesson in this game. Yeah, man, I wasn't a fan of the broadcast pair from from Jump. I don't understand why I, you know the Canadian national team players on the call is the color guy um but yeah certainly like identification of players and knowledge of strengths and weaknesses left a lot to be desired for uh we'll call it an international broadcast yeah just just use the FIBA guys man just use Mike and Jeff Taylor that's all you got to do man that's that's not that hard but um this was a very high scoring game and especially a very high scoring first period like we were on pace for like 120 plus point game and in a 40 minute game in a 40 minute FIGA game. That's really insane. Um, Germany led 33, 31 after one quarter and from, you know, it, 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 this was a great game throughout. No doubt. Um, Franz had nine points after the first quarter. Franz and Reeves traded off threes early in the second. It was 36, 36. Uh, and then Paolo, because he had to play center. Um, he had to muscle up Voigtman a little bit and, Boitman kind of threw Paolo down on a rebound. They didn't really focus on it on the broadcast, but kind of shook Paolo up a little bit. Um, 
funny enough, like Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't even foul trouble, but he was just not good. And so you, the U.S. was playing better again with Paolo on the floor, and it even it didn't have anything to do with Triple J's foul trouble. So, um, but you know, you were, I was hoping Paolo would shake off that fall, and it looked like he did because I mean, look, he's been he'd been nursing that thumb, and he says it's not a big deal, but I mean. You got a wrapping around it. You haven't been shooting jumpers all that too well, but um, yeah, it's physically he he did fine again in this game for the most part. Uh, Kerr didn't really do him any favors in this game. How how he used Paolo, like other than like a good like one or two good looks at the basket from Tyrese Halliburton. Like again, Paolo's not getting the ball, and defensively it's like he's not a center like he can block a shot here and there but like he's he's not a center so it was uh it was a tough situation for Paolo to be in you know Germany was up 52 48 they were off a 9-0 run just when it looked like the U.S. might be kind of figuring it out like Germany went up four again on a 9-0 run um Paolo got some free throws put the U.S. up 53 52 three minutes left until halftime and so it was U.S. was up by one at halftime, 60 to 59. Both teams were shooting over 55% from the field. It was the highest scoring first half in FIBA World Cup semifinal history. Like the total points in this first half was 119. The previous high for a FIBA World Cup semifinal was 97. So this was 23 points total more in a first half than any other FIBA World Cup semifinal in history before that. So th- this was a very entertaining game. And the U.S. was up at one at half. Bridges and Edwards each had 15 points. Franz had played 18 minutes. You know, 18 of the 20 minutes played was a test of his stamina for sure. Um, but he had 14 points, four boards, two assists at the break. Mo Wagner only played five minutes in that first half, five points, three turnovers. Paolo, 10 minutes off the bench, four points, one rebound, one assist, one block. At halftime, Penny, what, what are you thinking? Because I... I, I definitely thought this was going to be either Germany was going to win or this was going to be tight at the end. Like I did not think like the U S was going to turn it on in the third. I mean, it just, it, it never felt like the, for pretty much the entirety of the tourney against a level competition, that the U S could get any solid footing to, to, you know, put any space between them and anyone that they were playing. So uh, also, it felt like, I mean, obviously the points speak to it. Uh, it wasn't like it was shitty defense either. Like no. it was, you know, a pretty massive offensive uh, performances across the board. So when that's happening, like you, you really don't feel like anyone's going to pull out too far in front of the other one. Braun starts the third quarter immensely. Like he puts Germany up 64-62 as Franz, they left the Franz open again. He had opened three, but then... Franz had this just disgusting Euro step finish that made it 70, 64 Germany. Like Franz was up to 19 points. Um, and then he became the game high scorer at, at that point at 20 points when it was 71, 66 Germany with six fifty three to go in the third, just rebounding and passing were the difference in this contest. Like the, and then us, the us being just too ISO heavy. Like it's, it was a very similar story throughout this tournament. Uh, Paolo had a great drive and then kick out to Bobby Portis for a corner three. Like the U.S. needed that. Paolo needed that. And then Mo Wagner went into shithousery mode against Bobby Portis. And Bobby likes that type of stuff. So he was giving it back as much as he was getting it for Mo. And so um, that was that added some tension for a little bit briefly. 
Uh, Andreas Opes was just doing Opes things, just hitting threes and just just being an amazing player. Um, and then Mo Wagner, he probably would say he got a little lucky on this, but he drained a rainbow three, which he needed offensively, but he put Germany up 92-82. So Germany's up 10 at this point. His parent, like the Franz and Mo's parents are going ape shit with all the other German fans in there. Um, it was, yeah, that that's just a fun summer for the entire Wagner family. It was it was this tournament. So, but um, Franz, who had been out at that point, he got back in uh, towards the end of the third period. Like he sat a good four minutes. You know, he played. He he only sat two minutes in the whole first half. So for him to get four minutes there was big. I think stamina wise. Um, and Germany was still up 10, 94-84, entering the fourth quarter. Like, Franz, Obst, Tice were all huge in this game. Um, like, Tice was kicking the shit out of Jaren Jackson Jr. Like, it was just insane. Um, and then I thought Franz was player of the game at this moment. Um, so, Germany's up 10, Penny, going to the fourth. One, did you think Franz was the best player on the floor at that point? And two, did you think Germany was winning the game or did you think U.S. was coming back? Yeah, I think we even talked about this uh, texted while you were mid-flight. Like, it felt like at the end of the third, Germany was going to, at that point, run away and hide. And certainly, um, at least to the eye test to that point, Franz had been the standout player of the game to me. What What about you? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely, I mean, yeah, Franz was, I thought, the player of the game. No, no bias at all. Like, you know, Obst and Daniel Tice had similar points at that point. Um, Schroeder had not turned on like the scoring. Well, he, he didn't have a high scoring game in this game anyway, but like Franz was the leading scorer in the game at that point, I believe still. And, um, yeah, I thought Franz was the best player. I thought Germany was going to win the game at that point. I didn't, I didn't think the U S would, would even come back as close as they did, but they did as you know, the U.S. needed to try and push tempo and share the ball, and just Germany controlled the tempo for the majority of the game. And when the U.S. did get out and push the tempo and stuff, they were either leading or it was a tight game, and just they could not maintain it. They just could not maintain it either because just they were just not disciplined enough, or Germany just took it from them. And um, Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., he slapped the board for a goaltend as Mo Wagner got up to ten points as. Germany was maintaining a 102-92 lead at that point. Um, since since the end of the second group stage, everyone has been posting up Austin Reeves, and Germany was happy to do so as well. Um, again, it's 106-96 Germany with 442 to go. So, like, Germany, even midway through the fourth, are still up 10. And then Anthony Edwards just goes on this spurt where he went into, like, Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, like, Olympic mode, and – or, or FIBA World Cup mode, and he dragged the U.S. back into it. Like, in a minute and a half, Germany went from up 10 to it's a 7-0 U.S. run, and Germany's only up 106-103 with 317 to go. Um, I'm not going to lie. At that point, I'm like, Edwards might just do this. Like, I... I, I think the, I thought at that point with 317 to go, I thought the U.S. was going to take it like down three, 317. They got all the momentum like Edwards is going ape shit. Um, I don't know. Do you remember your feeling on this? I mean, once the 7-0 run happened, then you kind of feel like the momentum has shifted in such a way that it's hard for Germany to recapture it. Um, and then the very memeable moment occurs after that. 
Yeah, Andreas Obst faked the living shit out of Tyrese Halliburton. Like he faked him back to Okinawa with the corner three that Obst made. Like it was, it was so dirty, and it ended up being an early dagger in this game. But um, and then Kerr just randomly out of the blue throws Paolo back in the game super late, where he can't even really make a huge impact. But uh, I just didn't do Paolo any favors, and Germany won the game. And Franz and Moritz Wagner. Help Germany beat the U.S. for the first time ever in a major FIBA tournament, something Dirk Nowitzki never did. Um, Franz finished with 22 points on 7 of 18 shooting, 3 of 10 from 3, 5 rebounds. I, I got to call out Phil a little bit for this because he keeps saying Franz had like a bad shooting tournament. He didn't have a bad shooting tournament. Like he was fine. He he won two two player of the game awards. He played four tur- games in this tournament. He was the MVP in two of them. Like – it's okay if you're not shooting 40%, if you're doing a whole bunch of other things, or if you're getting to the free throw line, which in this case, he got to the free throw line. So um, Franz had a good game. He had an awesome tournament. Paolo, six points, one of four field goals, three assists. So he um, he only had the one field goal off the Halliburton assist. Uh, I think I said he got two field goals. He, he didn't. He only had the one. And um, I think one of them, Halliburton, sprung him loose again, and he just got fouled and went to the free throw line. And then Mo Wagner, 10 points, 3 of 5 shooting, didn't have to do much offensively, hasn't had to do too much in too many games offensively. It's just all about just energy and size and defense. And, you know, the crazy thing is, like, the U.S. didn't shoot the ball bad. You know, they shot 58% from the field, 48% on threes, 96% shooting from the free throw line, like – 58 48 96 shooting splits and the u.s still lost is insane it just goes to show that again the u.s defense rebounding were the huge problems in this game and in this tournament and you know the final score is 113 111 it's the highest scoring semifinal in FIBA world cup history dethroning uh greece's 2006 upset of the u.s and japan um germany serbia were gonna play for gold that sunday september 10th and you know, Germany had never won a gold medal in any major FIBA tournament. So there was history on the line. Um, and then Canada, U.S. for bronze. Like we were talking about, you know, I made the prediction that was going to be Canada, U.S. for gold. And instead it was Canada, U.S. for bronze. Um, any thoughts on this game before I get to Sunday? Uh, I mean, just Sunday? Again, yeah, just based again on, on the uh, – on the tournament as a whole, like the result is not super surprising in terms of, you know, Germany winning the game. I think the surprising, uh, what was surprising was the way it was done. And again, if you tell anyone or if you show the the shooting splits to anyone for the U.S. team, um, that's absurd shooting, especially yeah. in FIBA, like in FIBA play. That's absurd yes. shooting. Um, and to come up short speaks to the failure probably of roster construction and individual performance on the defensive end. So last Sunday, uh, Canada, U.S. bronze medal game. This game was played at around, started at like 2.25 a.m. Boise, Idaho time. There was no way I was watching this live. I was catching up on sleep after UCF's heart attack inducing, very stressful football win. At Boise State, uh, that was fun. Shout out to Boise, Idaho folks. They're they're amazing. I love them. They're they're really good people and they're good fans. And uh, they were very kind uh, at the tailgate as well. So, um, but 
I passed on this game and I ended up not having to wake up early because Paolo sat out due to illness along with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Ingram again. Um, I think, I don't know if it was officially said, people said that they were listed as out all with the same kind of upper respiratory illness. Um, again, there, there was rumor that it was really COVID because other teams experienced this in in uh in the philippines and uh indonesia and japan um but you know it very well might have been covid i wish they wouldn't it wouldn't be hidden like if it's covid say it's covid but um you know Paolo at least got to rest that thumb but he didn't have a chance to play canada for a medal like that and if Paolo played in the you know i don't watch it live but i watched enough afterwards that if, i feel like if Paolo plays in this game you know they the U S wins, but it, it didn't play out that way. And this game went to overtime in an absurd manner. Um, I'm assuming you didn't watch this live again, Penny, you, you went sleep, right? No, I, I treated it the same way that the U S team did. I showed up at the end. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, Mikhail Bridges, cause the U S was down a bunch and then late, late in the, in the regulation, they come back and bridges off his own missed free throw hits a miracle corner three, to force overtime and it still didn't matter. Canada still found a way to prevail. Like SGA just got it done. He closed it out. Fucking Dylan Brooks gets 39 points in this game, which is just shameful for that U S defense. Dylan Brooks got 39 points. And, you know, this is where, cause I mean, after this game, now you get all the, like all the big, big time NBA stars coming out of the woodworks and committing already to, to playing in the Paris Olympics, which that's very convenient because it's a much easier flight. And I mean, let's be honest, Paris for most people, it's, it's more, uh, it's a more appealing vacation, more appealing destination than having to fly out to the Philippines, even though you know, Filipino fans are amazing. And for those NBA players that did play in, you know, in this tournament, in the FIBA World Cup, they got a lot of fans out of this. You know, even Dylan Brooks, who was getting booed a ton early and often in this tournament because a lot of Filipino fans are Laker fans. But, um, you know, it's it, it, it's a loss for guys like LeBron, Durant, Booker, Tatum, Curry, like all these guys who now supposedly will be on the Olympic team next year, like, you know, it's your loss. And it's just like, I get it there for some reason in U S culture, they don't take the world cup seriously. Everyone's saying, you know, everyone says it's the Olympics, but everywhere else in the world, like not really, man. Cause with the Olympics, like you have a 12 team field and it's not the best teams. Like half the field is the best teams. Whereas in a world cup where you have 32 teams now, like, you have to deal with the best teams for the most part. Like the only big time teams that were missing were probably Turkey and like Argentina. Like that was it. And Argentina is not even you know, like a, a good, a good team anymore at the moment. Like they're in a big rebuild, but um, you know, Turkey was probably the one team that should have been at this tournament that just di didn't because they, you know, all their NBA guys can't play in, in FIBA world cup qualifying, but um, you know, in six world cups this century, this U S men's team the u.s men's national team has two golds one bronze and three appearances without a medal now they finished fourth sixth and seventh place i think the seventh place was the 2002 uh world cup i believe in like indianapolis or something but yeah in this century 
There's been six World Cups now. The U.S. has only won gold, two of them, and they've got a bronze. And the other three, you know, the other half times, they haven't medaled at all. And it's the first time for the U.S. Uh, that they have gone without a medal in consecutive uh, FIBA World Cup tournaments since, uh, let's see, the last time was 1963 to 1970, back when they're sending college kids, I guess, when, uh, yeah, they in, in 63, 67, and 70 they uh they finished fourth twice and then fifth and so yeah this yeah this has not been a good stretch for for the u.s in the world cup the 127 points they gave up in the canada bronze medal game are the most ever conceded by the u.s in a feeble world cup game period um the u.s allowed 110 plus points in three of their last four games in the feeble world cup after never conceding that much in their previous 162 games in this competition. Like they did it three of the last four games of this world cup. Um, and then the U S conceded more than a hundred points in consecutive games for the first time in the, in its world FIBA world cup history as well. So, and then for Canada, it's their first medal in a major tournament, like Olympics or world cup first time since, they got silver in the Berlin Olympics of 1936. Like it's a huge deal for them, for that Canadian basketball program. Um, and it's momentum, a little bit of momentum for them going into Paris next summer. So, but um, yeah, any, I don't know, man. Like I thought from a, from a roster perspective, this U S roster was, was pretty good. I, I thought it's just, Kerr's Golden State system didn't end up working. I mean, the biggest issue was they didn't have the right, they didn't have a center. Like they didn't have the right center. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. with the Grizzlies is a power forward next to Steven Adams. Steven Adams plays center for the Grizzlies. Um, Walker Kessler, as good of a, a rookie campaign he had with the Utah Jazz, got muscled constantly. Like I had a lot of people fighting me on Twitter about, oh, Walker Kessler should have played more. They should have put him together with with uh with Jaron Jackson Jr. And I'm like, he got the shit out muscled from out of him. Like he did it. Like he was not ready for that tournament. Sorry. He wasn't. And then Bobby Portis, he's not a center. Um, so then it's like Paolo by default, arguably had the best center run out of all the team USA guys, which is just a testament and credit to how hard he worked and how good he is. And he learned a lot from all this. That's for sure. Um, and it's going to prove valuable for him going forward, be it, shot blocking, rebounding, center position, just being able to play any position on the floor now, basically. Like, he, it, he's going to benefit from this. And it was cool that Jamal Mosley was there um, as well with him, although Mosley ended up bailing before the semifinal games, which, uh, in hindsight, maybe would have helped if he stayed there just for support, I guess. But because um, Mosley was here for the, uh, for the Magic jersey and billing as well. But... Yeah. Any thoughts on any of that stuff I said for Team USA? Like, like, what do we think of the roster? What do we think about the NBA shit talking or not talk? Just the NBA players kind of talking yeah. about you know this is going to be like a redeem team type thing again now, and just like it's it's nice that you show up for the Olympics, but like you kind of got to show up for this tournament too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I threw a lot out there, Penny. So you go with whatever you want here. I think the interesting thing roster construction wise is we'll say outside of Bobby Portis, all of the front court players really make their money uh, playing help side, de like weak side help side defense where they're challenging at the rim um, and covering up other people's mistakes. And um, that, that runway doesn't really exist 
in in FIBA play. Like the spacing to close that gap doesn't really exist. And what you consistently saw were, were the, I hate to be the resident white guy here, but like the, the, the brute force strength muscle box out, like just the size and strength as opposed to the athleticism was missing. Um, so I don't, I don't, I mean, certainly there's guys in the NBA, uh, American born players where you can find that or also, you know, Joel Embiid. <laughs> so, so on I the solo, I'll, on the solo thing, like, do you agree that Wendell Carter Jr. should have like, would have done good on this team? Cause I think he would have been really good on this team. I, I think he would have done just as good as Jaron Jackson Jr. If not better. Because I th- I think at a minimum he can actually rebound. Like Jaron Jackson yeah. Jr. doesn't have a good rebounding track record, and yeah, I think Wendell, like despite him being six ten, six nine, whatever, like he he knows how to use his size and his body. He's and, not afraid to mix it up. Yeah. No. So I think I he would have been more physical. But, um, but and then yeah. just, like American wise, I think certainly it's an American thing, right? Uh, and and more specifically a basketball thing because trying to think of other sports like world championships mean a lot I don't know let's say gymnastics right like people really get up for that there's the Simone Biles still winning all around that's not an Olympic uh, cycle that's the world championship cycle. I mean just look at soccer right yeah so like like if you look at soccer like if you look at soccer like the world cup is the biggest thing you can win. Like the Olympics right. is an under 23 event. Like, right. Yeah. So sorry, I cut you off, but yeah, I don't well, know. I, I just like, I, I think there's always going to be some sort of uh, elevation in basketball for the Olympics over some of the other, you know, worldwide competitions. I don't know that that will ever go away. And part of that, I think uh, is the scheduling um, of kind of the, when the tournaments happen and, you know, who's committing the time to do it. So I, I don't know that that will ever necessarily improve uh, in terms of the USA having commitments from larger stars to play in these tournaments. But the funny thing, right, is uh, despite the despite the fourth place finish uh, based on, you know, all of the other success along the way, U.S. is still the number one ranked team in the world. Well, and that's based off like a long like it takes a big picture of it, those FIBA rankings. And the only reason why the U.S. was one is because they did better than Spain. Spain was the number one FIBA ranked team coming into this tournament, I think. Um, and then the U.S. just had a slightly better tournament than Spain. And that's why the U.S. jumped them. Um, yeah, I, I I don't care much about the rankings. Like rankings don't mean much. But um, although going into the tournament, the top two teams were – the u.s and germany so they got the germany part right but um yeah so we're, we'll talk a little bit more uh u.s stuff after this uh this germany serbia gold medal game because uh you know i already mentioned that his well i already mentioned the rest history thing wasn't on germany's side and despite the rest disadvantage they they still beat the u.s so that's a credit to to germany there but there's also history not on germany's side now when it comes to teams that have knocked off the u.s um you know, the team that beats the U.S. seems to typically then lose the next game to, you know, to another nation because they're just coming down from that high. But uh, and also, I mean, I look, I I, I would have I, I had Germany as a favorite over Serbia going to this final. But Serbia, they had continued to just keep playing better and better as the tourney progressed. And 
they were just motivated beyond just winning the gold medal. Like that's big enough motivation. But like when you lose a teammate, like uh, Borussia Simonich to, you know, you lose a teammate who loses literally his kidney while he's playing this tournament. Like he lost a kidney. Um, like that's added motivation. Like they were missing players. Like Jokic was out. Uh, obviously, like, you know, when you're missing the reigning NBA or not reigning, but when you're missing an NBA MVP caliber player, like that's a big deal. And so for Serbia to have found their way to the final, that was a big deal for them. Um, they probably thought that they were a team of destiny, probably as almost as much as maybe Germany thought at that point. But, um, you know, I thought Germany should have won this final, but FIBA ball can bring some crazy results as we see every year now with these tournaments. But um, I hate that we got the ESPN US announcers for this final because it, it's the US isn't playing. It's just it's it's it wasn't on ESPN two. You can only watch this game on ESPN plus, I believe. So I don't know why they gave us these announcers. Just give me the FIBA guys. Give me give me Mike and Jeff Taylor, man. But um Franz was active early in this final, like, uh, you know, Serbia, they were banking it. They actually banked a couple threes early on in this game, like Bogdan Bogdanovic and, and Nikola Jovic, like they banked in threes. Um, Franz got fouled on a deep three point attempt. He got free throws. Germany was up, uh, 30 to 28 at that point. Um, I believe, yeah. And then 38, 37 Germany, Franz was up to 12 points. It was just a seesaw battle of the final. Penny, did you see this one live? I did see this one live. Okay. Yeah, this wasn't an early one. This was this was like an eight something AM one. So um I mean I was still in I was still in Boise. Uh I I, I literally watched this before checking out of my hotel that Sunday morning. So because it was six thirty in the morning over there. So it was it was good timing for me on that. Um and yeah, Boganovich, he was play, he played a really good first half. This was the first all European World Cup final matchup since Spain uh, beat Greece in two thousand six. And it was just a phenomenal first half. It was 47-47 at halftime. Franz was at 14 points. And then Dennis Schroeder took over in the third period. You know, Germany got up to 64-53 um, thanks to a, a Schroeder-driven run. And then Franz got his first uh, points of the third period off a three-pointer. He was up to 17 points. It was a 67-55 Germany lead. And then in the fourth, it got tight. <laughs> Serbia in the fourth was down only 73-69. And this was just a complete different game from, from the U.S.-Germany game. It was funny because Mark Spears was bitching a moment. Well, not bitching. It was, he, was just, he pointed out how it's like, man, U.S.-Germany was like 113-111. And here this game's in like the 70s. And I it, it I literally just tweeted like it, it's, de- it's, it's, it's just defense. Like the U.S. wasn't playing any defense, whereas this two teams were – playing defense and throwing haymakers at each other. And it was just a very physical game because these two teams were dying to win this gold medal. And so um, Mo and Franz were contributing in the fourth for sure. They also learned some valuable lessons. You know, they made some mistakes down the stretch, um, which thankfully didn't cost them. But the door was open for Serbia and a lot because, too, Schroeder was kind of went into – quarterfinal mode again where he was kind of stagnating that ball movement in Serbia you know that's a big reason why they came back and it's a good thing that Serbia also played tight offensively late like Germany because if they were playing loose kind of like Latvia did Serbia would have came back and won this game I I almost have no doubt about it because Schroeder had the keys late again like he wasn't deferring to Franz like he was in the U.S. semifinal um, Franz does get a huge key steal 
late in this game, like with 2.07 to go, Franz is at the, at the free throw line coming out of a timeout. He hits two huge free throws. He puts Germany up 78-69. It was an early dagger in my eyes, those free throws. And because also throughout the game, and especially during that fourth quarter comeback, this was a pro-Serbia crowd in in Manila, Philippines. Like they wanted Serbia to win more than Germany. And so there was some... There's some adversity to to take to you know from a crowd perspective as well to deal with, but you know despite late troubles, Schroeder he scored uh he scored a bucket with 21.4 seconds left, which gave Germany a four point lead late, and it was enough, man. They they held on like Germany. They they're your 2023 World Cup champions, and you know Franz and Mo they they get gold. They they did it, man. I it's. It's a big deal, man. It, it is a big deal. Like I know U.S. fans may not care. You know, I know a lot of Magic fans may not care, but from a basketball perspective, from a global perspective, like this is a really cool fucking thing. And you know, they, yeah, it's just immense basketball history. Like they did something that even Dirk Nowitzki could do was win gold in a, in, a, in a FIBA tournament like this. And Franz finished that game with 19 points, seven rebounds, three steals, two assists in 33 minutes. He won the TCL Player of the Game award, so you know he to to win the to win the the, the Player of the Game award. That's in the final. That's that's a clutch thing to do, man. And then Mo Wagner had eight points, four rebounds in 16 minutes. Mo, uh, you know they both helped Germany win its first FIBA World Cup championship, and. It's their first gold of any FIBA tournament. And, you know, final score was 83-77. I didn't mention that before. but uh, And then Germany went undefeated in the tournament. They were obviously the only team to go undefeated in the tournament, but they uh, they ran the table. And Dennis Schroeder, he won tournament MVP. He had 28 points in that final. He played good defense in the second half on Bogdanovich. Some folks said that Bogdanovich was impacted by an injury, but everyone's hurt at this point or dealing with something. And that's half the battle with these single elimination portions of the tournament. You know, it's, you got guys carrying injuries, you got teams and players playing tight. Like it's, it's as big of an, of a, of a pressure packed situation to be in as most NBA playoff games. Like you have to get to maybe the NBA finals to deal with this type of pressure that these guys were dealing with. And that's why I love these type of tournaments, you know, and that's why I wish Paolo would have played in that bronze medal game. Cause that would have probably been the biggest game he had played other than what a Duke final four game probably. But um, you know, this, yeah, the Duke final four games, a bigger deal for, for, for Paolo, but um, you know, this, you know, playing for third for bronze medal would have been pretty high up there against a stacked Canada team. But from a Franz perspective, this is the biggest, you know, Franz and Mo perspective, this is the biggest game they've ever played in their lives. And, you know, they won it. They they learned some amazing, amazing lessons from this. And Franz was named to the uh, all-second tournament team, uh, or the all-tournament second team, sorry, for the FIBA World Cup. And, you know, he battled back from that ankle injury, and he averaged 16.7 uh, points per game, six and a half rebounds, three assists, and four games played. Had he played a few more games, he definitely makes the first team, uh, for the all-tournament first team. He might have been in for a shout for MVP even, but, um, you know, it it was cool a few days later seeing the, the German national team celebrating in Germany and the Wagner brothers just having a blast. And um, from a, yeah, what did you think of this final, Penny? Um, 
I would just, again, from a Magic perspective, uh, first of all, it was an entertaining game and, again, a very different game than the semifinal, just in terms of style and, and grace. <laughs> um, but from a Magic perspective for the for the final, we've talked about before, for Franz specifically and Franz and Mo too, like the the success both physically going through the situations as well as the mental confidence boost that this provides is only uh, a net positive. And with everyone that's participated in the tournament, presumably being free of, you know, lasting injury, it's only a net positive across the board. Uh, my question for you, and I, I already know the answer, I think, but uh, the Magic are not going to win a title next year, but let's say they did. What would mean more to the Wagner brothers winning this medal or winning an NBA championship? I think it's I think it's this medal. I think it's yeah. it's winning gold at the FIBA World Cup for Germany. Like I, I really I hear think you, so. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna raise you. What if the Magic win the midseason tournament this year? Would that mean more? <laughs> it might. Okay. It might. All right. Um, yeah. But it, yeah. But that's the like. Think of the the pressure cooker that these guys are in, representing their nation with their flag on their you know on their chest. And being able to to succeed in that way, uh, pretty cool. Um, I already gave the Franz tournament averages. Mo Wagner averaged eleven point nine points per game, four point eight rebounds, one point four assists. Um, Franz and yeah, Mo had two player of the of the game awards in this tournament, and uh, as well. So it's uh, and then Paolo, he had eight point one points per game, three rebounds, one point four assists. You know, Paolo won that player of the game award that first game they, they played against New Zealand. Unfortunately, it didn't end up being a great omen for him. But I, you know, live and learn, man. And I, my fear now, though, is like he's not going to get called to the Olympic team. Um, and I, w I, I don't want this to be a situation where this is the only time he plays for Team USA in a FIBA tournament. I, I don't want the like especially with all the hell he had to go through with the Italy thing now. Like, I don't want this to be a situation where it's like you're cast aside by Grant Hill and, and the rest of the team USA decision makers after this tournament, because he played well. Like I thought, I thought he was a top five us contributor. I don't know if you want to agree or disagree. Like I think the top, the, the four guys that were better than him overall or bigger contributors than him overall were uh, Halliburton Edwards bridges. I'll say Reeves, um stubbornly because screw LA, but I think those were the only four guys that were definitive that were like better than Paolo. I thought Paolo had to be like a top five contributor, and I thought he was, but if like all of these aging US stars are coming out of the out of the you know out of the fields to play for, for out of out of the cornfields to play for for the Olympic team, like I don't know if he's gonna get in. But I, I don't know. How, what'd you think of Paolo? I know you're you were lower than him than I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say top five, but he was put in a disadvantageous position. Um, I th there's got to be some sort of wink and nod agreement that you know, come come in, get the experience in this role that's not optimal for you, uh, get a taste of the system to be part of the pool moving forward. And uh, certainly, we we assume that Paolo will be a significantly improved player uh two years you know a year from now two years from now five years from now whatever the next cycles are for whatever tournaments he's interested in playing in right yeah i mean look grand hill 
there's the Duke connection. He recruited the hell out of him from January, February, and turned him from playing for Italy to he wasn't going to play at all this summer to Team USA is who he's playing for. And so for that to get thrown to the side, that would be really disappointing, and I hope that doesn't happen. Um, hell, give him a fucking Christian Leitner spot at least, like it, it, you know, <laughs> a, a, like at at worst, like at worst, like give him that twelve spot or something, because he, he, like I said, he played well, and I think he would deserve it, and we'll see, because he, he, he loved the physicality. He was the only big man that liked the physicality and thrived in it. And that's a very valuable thing in FIBA ball. If the rest of the team could handle the physicality, the U.S. would have won gold. That's my viewpoint. So whether he gets the damn ball or not, like he was supposed to play the Draymond Green role, and then somewhere along the way during the tournament, that completely got cast away to the side, even though the U.S. was playing great when he was playing the Draymond Green role. So um, yeah, I, I hope that doesn't get shadowed or doesn't get forgotten. All right, I, I was keeping this in my back pocket, but can we talk about the whole NBA champions versus world champions debate thing? Can, can we talk about this? Because we, we have to. Because Noah Lyles, who is a gold medal track athlete, he's he's a, he's an amazing track athlete. Like out of the blue, he came up with just this quote, you know, you know where it was just he just talked about how the you know, NBA champions shouldn't call themselves world champions and. For the majority of my life, that's been my viewpoint. I know I've always been in the minority, but it was interesting to see an American athlete say this. Like, and I don't know even know what the question was that prompted it. Like he I some say it was like an unprompted like response, and he went on a pretty nice rant. But um, do you consider and you can you can we can talk about other sports too as well. I don't know, but from an NBA perspective, for whichever team wins the NBA champion, do you think of them as NBA champion. You think of them as world champions. Do you not care? Cause for me, I've always, I've always been stubborn and have always been big on it being just your NBA champions. Yeah. I think, I think of them as NBA champions, but I'm going to tag on to that, that I would put that NBA champion team up in a series against any other basketball team in the, in the world. And they would be the pound for pound favorite. They would definitely be the favorite. I just, my thing is just, it doesn't happen. Like we don't have, we, we don't have a club world cup like you do in soccer. Like in soccer, there's a club world cup where the best teams around the world actually play against each other. And until we see that from a basketball perspective, um, I just don't think you can call yourself a world champ from, from that. Um, it's funny because Germany won the FIBA world cup and they're trolling they're 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 hitching their wagon to this right now and they've printed out world champion t-shirts like in several designs and i think they have the right to do that because it's a it's a it's a it's an actual world cup like if you win the olympics i don't think you can even do that from an olympic perspective because it's it's not the world it's not the world cup it's just the olympics so that's my viewpoint on that but um and it was just interesting to see all these NBA players just come from the rafters, just roasting Noah Lyles, but they didn't have any zero, like they had no supporting evidence. They were just roasting him like Durant Booker, like you name it. Like they were trying to belittle it and, and just had like emoji responses and stuff like that. But nobody had like a real good response to it. Um, I'm going to say this, look, look, if you know, whoever the NBA champion is, 
like, yes, they would 100% be favored in any type of game or tournament, you know, in a, in a world, in a global cup, uh, club cup type of competition or whatever. But if NBA teams had to play in Greece and face teams like in Athens, like Olympiacos, like in front of those fans, half of those players would shit their pants. Like they would, like they, like they would be feces coming down their shorts if they had to deal with some of those crowd atmospheres, because it's not, it's not just about the team. It's not just about the talent. You have to deal with the fan atmosphere. So that's why I would always be interested in an actual club world cup because they do it in soccer. I don't see why you can't do it in, in the NBA in basketball, because especially if you love money, if you love money, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do this. If you're silver, why don't you team up with FIBA and get on this? But, um, or any or any of the leagues, you know, team up with the Euro League and stuff like that. Like, because I I would be fascinated to watch this. So, um, you know, like I think Olympiacos, who is a Euro League Final Four contender, continue you know consistently now for the most part. Like, I think they can beat NBA any NBA team. Like, I think it's possible. Now, if they had to play like an 82-game season, they would 100% have the worst record in the league, like bar none, no doubt about it. But I can't definitively say that Olympiacos could not beat, like, say, the Magic in a game if they played. I, I can't say that. One, we don't know what rules it is, what rules are being used. Like, I don't know where it's being played. Like, I there's a lot of stuff I have I have to answer with that. Now, does the, do the Magic have a shit ton of talent? Then Olympiacos does, of course. You know, like Sasha Vizenkov just went off, uh, you know, he was the Euro, Euro League MVP. He was on is one of their best players, and he's now a Sacramento King, and, you know, he's probably coming off the bench as a sixth man. But it's still a team game. You still got to play the games. That's how the world gets better. That's how the game gets better is when you actually play each other. So that's my viewpoint on that. Um, yeah, and also... I don't know if it could ever happen in terms of setting up a, a worldwide competition, I think the foray would be like a G league ignite type team gets thrown into the mix as the representative for, you know, the, the NBA or American type basketball. I think that's probably like the, the, the furthest that they would go, but the, but to your point, if well, people you, want money. There's probably a pretty you get a shit ton of money for this dude. Job. You get a yeah. ton of money for this. Even if it's not like here, how about like, even if they started it off with maybe you take like the best, like the best team or the best teams that don't make the playoffs and you throw them in like, because the playoff, you know, the regular season ends in, you know, in April. Um, Fill you know, those two and a half months. You know, so do it around May, like basically when, when the European season ends, like do it around like May around there. Like, you know, that's yeah. like your league playoffs happen in, in May. Like if you do it around there, like you're not bothering NBA playoffs, you could give that a go. I'd be curious to see that. That'd be interesting. And also maybe it's an anti-tank incentive because then you're making these guys play too um, for prolonging their season. But um, I don't think that's here's, a bad idea. Here's a quick, well, I think that's a pretty good idea for, people that are interested then you got a union get through the union and the players association and everything um obviously there's old greg popovich quotes about you know a, a very globalist uh, outlook on things what's your take as an unabashed unashamed uh yana super fan that he took so long to weigh in uh in support of noah lyle's opinion uh which again objectively 
is the right opinion. Honestly, I don't think Yanni y- Yanni saw it. Yanni's a busy dude, man. Like he he just had another kid. Like he was dealing. He had like a knee procedure. Like I th- I think he just he didn't notice it for a while because sometimes he'll go off the grid. That's that's honestly my defense. Like because. I, I don't think he would that's have waited. Why we haven't, that's, that's why we haven't heard any uh, any opinion from uh, Jokic yet because he's in the stable still. Well, he's too busy dancing, man. The guy's in the clubs. Like I, I don't know. What, I'm sure he'll be in decent condition, but I ever like I see him at all these like celebrations and stuff, man. And I'm I'm sure he'll be fine. But it, it's the guy's been celebrating, and I'm a little surprised that Serbians aren't mad that he didn't play, but I guess, I mean, being that he won an NBA championship and he still represents the hell out of Serbia, like that will give him the pass anyway. But, um, cause Serbia probably wins this tournament. If Jokic plays like Serbia probably would have won gold in this tournament. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can, yeah, before we talk about, I guess favorites or teams for next year or stuff like that, maybe, but like, you know, another defense I had was like Andreas Obst, who has never played, in the NBA, he plays in Europe. I mean, he plays in, in Germany for the most part. Like, he was the TCO player of the game in Germany's win over the U.S. Like, a non-NBA player beat the U.S., theoretically, in that. In, in that. So, um, I would have liked to find out, a, like, Noah Lyles on a follow-up, what he thought of kind of all this. Like, I, I think he had a quote or an interview with, like, Vogue or something like that, but I don't think it had happened uh, I think it happened after they lost to Lithuania, but it didn't happen after the U.S. didn't even get a medal. So I would have been interesting to we're interested to hear more Lyle's quotes. It'll be interesting to see Lyle's at the Olympics in general and have and see if he he interacts with uh, with Team USA basketball at all. That'll actually be fascinating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I already mentioned like LeBron, Durant, Curry, Booker, Tatum, maybe Bam, Adebayo, Draymond Green, like. Everyone's like throwing their hands up all of a sudden, which is potentially very bad news for Paolo. Um, hopefully he plays. Hopefully he actually plays like more of a a, a, a forward position, like be small forward or power forward. But um, I, I, I literally think Paolo is going to have to have like an all star season for him to be selected at this point. Like it, it's it's possible, but it's unfortunate. It may have to come to that for him to get invited on this Olympic team. But, um, you know, looking at the Olympics. France and the U.S. are fighting for Embiid services, but then you got Germany, Canada, Serbia with Jokic. Like they'll be big gold medal competitors for you know with the U.S. And I don't think there's a de- definitive favorite, even if all those big names are on Team USA. Like Team USA will be the favorite, but I are those guys going to play defense? Is LeBron, Durant, Curry like are those guys actually going to play defense and try and rebound? Because that's the problem. That is the problem. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And because there's a lot of age and mileage on those legs now. And we'll see. Um, do you think, what do you think NBA's going to do? I actually think he's not going to play for any team. But what do you think? You think he's going to be on U- US, France? What do you think? I, I'm inclined to agree with you, which is never good for the entertainment level of the podcast. But I, if if he played for a country, I feel like it would be the U.S. Right or wrong, but I, I'm inclined to believe that he would choose to to not play. Yeah, I. If he plays for France, that gets interesting because then you have an an Embiid like Wembenyama front court, or you get a, you could theoretically play Wembenyama at the three because the French have a 
terrible, like have terrible wings other than Fournier. Here's, like, here's a very quick question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for Joel Embiid's uh, Hall of Fame legacy, it's not likely that he's going to win a title at this point, and he's got a lot of mileage and nicks on him. Should he try and play for the U.S. to win a gold medal for his own career resume? Does that make a difference? I think he's a Hall of Famer without it. Like, he's going, like, he's, how many MVPs have not, made it to have not made it to the hall of fame what is it derrick rose and who i think it's one other guy right isn't it like somebody from like the 60s or 70s i think every mvp has made it into the hall of fame or is about to make it into the hall of fame right so he has everyone yeah everyone that is eligible uh i think I think except it. Rose and one other person, I think. Because uh, Rose, I don't think Derrick Rose is going to get in. I really don't. Like, I'll be stunt. Like, I he's still playing. I get that. But, like, I don't think he's going to get in. Um, if he gets in, then they need to throw Penny in or something. That's my viewpoint. Um, you know, I, 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 I was I, I'm still a little surprised that Tracy McGrady got in as quickly as he did, although I shouldn't be. But, I, you know, that's another that's another story for another day. But, um, yeah, I mean – with Embiid, I, I want I, I want him to play for France. Although, I, I, well, honestly, I want him to play for Cameroon, but Cameroon doesn't really have much of a of a great basketball program at the moment. Although, if there's a couple of NBA guys with Cameroonian descent that would elevate that program immensely, like they they could have done what like Eric Gordon and Buddy Yield and and DeAndre Aiden did for the Bahamas to get them in the pre Olympic qualifying tournament. Like they easily could have done that, but. Um, I, I so I kind of want to see I want to see Embiid play for France. You'd be playing in front of a home crowd. You would have a front court of Gobert, Embiid, and Wembenyama as a front court, which would be the most insane thing I think ever. Like the closest we got was Spain when they had the Gasol brothers and Serge Ibaka. Like that's as close as we got. And I don't think they like they barely played all three together because same Spain. That's those old Spain teams had good wings, but. Like in a situation where France has basically Fournier and an aging Batum, like they actually would theoretically play all three of those guys. And from a basketball perspective, I think, I mean, that's more impressive if you win for France than it is for winning for the U S in my mind. So that's, that, that, that's my counter argument to that. I think if he would play, I think he'll, he'll, he'll play for the U S I just, I don't think he's going to end up playing for, for, for anyone at the Paris Olympics, but we'll see. So, all right. Any other thoughts, man? Cause we got magic media day training camp in two weeks. So this is literally like, you know, we're being preoccupied with football, soccer, other sports and stuff. So, you know, baseball, my Phillies are doing all right. Your Cubs are doing all right. Like, you know, it's two weeks away, but you know, I mean, I got formula racing, formula one racing distracting me. Like there's good distractions. Like we've, we basically made it through, the dark, quiet part of the NBA offseason, thankfully, because a big portion of that was because of FIBA basketball. Um, you know, any thoughts on any of that, you know, before we get out of here? I, I think it's crazy that we're on the precipice of what is going to be another, in some way, <laughs> former fashion, monumental season of Magic basketball. So looking forward to it, looking forward to dissecting all of the preview stuff upcoming. 
uh, and seeing what transpires here. I have two late questions for you since you threw a couple at me. I just, I just two literally popped in my head. This Let's is the it. biggest magic season since when the 20, the, the 09, 2010 season. What, what are we thinking? Biggest season or is it like the last white season, like 11, 12? Like, what are we thinking? That's a real good question. I mean, certainly we don't have nine, 10 expectations. No, um, not yet, <laughs> man. That's a great question. Well, I'm going to ponder that one. What, what's okay. your answer to? I mean, probably. I think it's 11, 12. I think it's the last. This is the biggest season yeah. since the last white season. Yeah. Or, or this or, is the biggest like training camp preseason since then. Cause like we have. At least since coming off of the the Toronto playoff series year. Yeah. I like, think it's even yeah. bigger than that, though, honestly, yeah. because I think we, yeah. we, in hindsight, we know, but I think we squandered that offseason. I, I in hindsight so yeah. um like we should have traded fournier we should have traded ross and we didn't do it so anyway um one other question because i i just realized this does it matter to you if franz or paolo is definitively the guy because to me it doesn't if they're both great awesome if one does better than the other we'll deal with it but i don't I'm not worried about a pecking order thing. Like there, there's no Tatum Brown situation right now with us. Like some people think Franz is the best player. Some people think Paolo is, I don't care if you're both good. And if you both average 20 points per game, you're both going to potentially be all-stars this coming season. And we're going to be a playoff team and we'll worry about it from there. But I see magic fans on Twitter, online, whatever, just they they're worrying about something that I don't think they need to worry about. It only matters if it matters to them. And I don't think that it will matter to either one of them for at least another year or two. That That's my thought. I mean, and, and by all accounts, like Paolo, maybe with some other, you know, uh, outside influences and, yeah. and you know, uh, shoe deals and everything, like there may be some more pressure there. I And Franz, I think, is very confident and assertive and everything, but strikes me as the type that would be okay being called a number two while playing like a number one. That's very fair. And I agree with you on that. So yeah, we'll be boring and get out on that. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you're still listening, we thank you very much for your time, uh, subscriptions, high ratings, positive comments, all help this podcast ranking immensely. Uh, tweet us any of your questions and feedback. Penny, what's your Twitter handle? At Spencer Strode. No C's, just S's, and I am at Papa Giorgio MBO. And with that, take care. Let's go magic.